Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Pastor David Bickford. I am the pastor here in uh, Salmon Arm, and uh, the message I have prepared today is Prepare Now to Get Rich. And the subheading would be lay up treasures in heaven. So as we, you know, get get going and jump into this, just a little bit, you know, about what the purpose of this podcast is, is simply as it is an outreach a tool, as an evangelism tool. Uh, these are sermons that I've I've preached, you know, already in the church. And I basically just reformat them into this podcast. Eventually I'll I'll probably do, you know, video for for YouTube as well, but they are uploaded to YouTube in audio form uh, as well. Um, but, you know, we're working on getting, you know, a little bit better with the technology as time goes on. Um, but anyway, so let's let's go ahead and jump in this, uh, this day. Um, the text that we're working from today is Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. So if you're following along, you can go ahead and, and get there. It's a Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And at the time of recording this, you know, we're, we're getting close to Christmas. We're about 10 days away from Christmas. So I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's an awesome time of the year for us as Christians because we can you know, share the gospel a lot more freely. People are a little bit more open to it. So if you're not doing that already, that's part, part of the reason why you wish people Merry Christmas is to share your your faith with others. So don't don't be discouraged by people trying to push you off and say, oh, no, no, you got to say happy holidays because not everybody's a Christian. Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? Isn't the whole point? to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with uh, those you come in contact with. And what better to do that with than by saying, hey, you know, Merry Christmas. Here's a, you know, whatever your favorite, you know, drink is. Not not alcohol, of course, but like your favorite like holiday drink, like an eggnog latte or, or um, you know, peppermint mocha or a peppermint hot chocolate. So you, you could go up and you say, hey, Merry Christmas. Would you like a peppermint mocha? So it's a very, very powerful time. You're hearing... You know, more Christian music played openly because a lot of the Christmas songs of the season are Christian in nature, of course. So let's let's use that to our advantage for the evangelism of Jesus Christ and really just focus in on bringing the love of Jesus Christ into the public square and not being detoured by the world telling us to keep that you know, silent and separate because you, we all know that they're not doing that with a lot of their messages, with a lot of their, you know, gospel that they're preaching, which is not from our, you know, not from our Lord. So let's just do that in a kind, caring, loving way. And again, Merry Christmas as we get started with this message today. So prepare now to get rich. So when I was, yeah, I'm reading this book and I actually am still reading it. I haven't finished it yet because I had, I took a break. But it was a book about Andre Agassi, and and believe it or not, when I was a young young man, I was I was uh, growing up in Los Angeles, and my dad was very into to tennis when we lived down there, 
And uh, I remember my first pair of really good shoes were a pair of Andre Agassi shoes. Andre Agassi being a very famous tennis player in the uh, the 90s. And so anyway, on, on the court, tennis legend Andre Agassi seemed to be unbeatable during his heyday in the 1990s and early 2000s. The superstar was very successful and earned tons of money. He is currently worth $175 million. And at one point he was even ranked world's number one. But in this, but in his 2009 book, Agassi revealed that his life as a tennis superstar was one that he hated. He says that despite his wealth and success, playing the game interfered with his personal relationships and he felt disconnected with his life. He then became very involved in philanthropy and was especially interested in education, and he opened up the Andre Agassi College Prep Academy in 2001, and he has said that he finds that work far more fulfilling than he did during his days as a tennis player. It's interesting how, you know, once you get out of the limelight a little bit, out of the, you know, it's all about me and my success kind of realm, you and you start pouring back into others, how much more fulfilling that can be. And there's a you know biblical principle with that, right? And so let's look at Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Lay up treasures in heaven. In verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So as we jump in, the first point I want to look at is watching your desires, right? And so let's define what that means a little bit, you know, desire. It, it, it's usually a verb used with an object, and it's to wish or long for, to crave, to want, to express a wish to obtain or ask a request. Other words that are similar to desire are covet, fancy, solicit, aspiration, hunger, appetite, thirst. Right. Most of us want more money. We want more stuff. I meet people all the time that have tens of thousands of dollars in toys. And what do I mean by toys, I mean like big boy adult toys, like boats, quads, campers, oh my. And uh, some of us like to have the newest technology as soon as it comes out, the newest iPhone or the Samsung phone that comes out. You know, we, we want to upgrade. In fact, I myself, you know, I, I'm an Apple guy. I have, you know, Apple computer. I have an iPhone. I have an older iPhone. It's an iPhone XR. And I'm, I'm, I'm saving up, you know, to get an iPhone, you know, 15, you know, pro. And, you know, the silliest reason I want that is because finally, finally, even though I love Apple, they're, they're switching over to the C-type connection instead of the lightning connection. So I will be able to get rid of a bunch of useless cords because I'll be able to only have one charger hanging around versus all the other chargers that, that I end up with. So I'm not immune to, you know, wanting to have some of the newest technology, but I'm still rocking the iPhone 10 XR right now. So uh, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. But yeah, you know, we, we, we battle with this, right? There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, a Tesla or a giant truck and trailer. 
The issue always comes back to your desires. Why are you dri- what why are you driving your appetites and what what direction are those are you allowing those appetites to drive you? What are you feeding yourself? What does your diet look like, you know, from a spiritual and emotional level? So let's think about that for a minute. The more you eat uh, some items, the more you crave them. You know, sugar and simple carbohydrate foods are very appealing, but as you eat them, you tend not to be satisfied and crave them more and more. And I've, I feel this, you know, quite a bit. So one of my advices, because I typically eat like a keto or like a fat adapted diet, I don't eat a lot of carbs, but one of my vices is like, um, is mini wheats, right? So, you know, frosted mini wheats, and I'll take a a handful of those, you know, try to limit the amount I eat, but it's always amazing. The you know, you eat a little bit and then you want more. And so it's kind of like the idea of of the potato chip. Oh, you can't eat just one. There's something about, you know, these these either, you know, salty carbohydrate treats or these sugary carbohydrate treats that it just drives you to want to eat more and more of it. Whereas if you were eating, you know, a clean fat or or a clean protein, and you focused on that, you would be you know, fuller and you know more satiated because it's it's actually a better food choice you know in most cases. Whereas healthy foods, complex carbohydrates, even good proteins and fat, they like I said, they'll satiate your appetite and provide you with more energy that you actually need. If you avoid the junk food, you can you know in time curb your desire for them. But only if you remove them from your diet, if you if you limit the amount of influence they have in your diet. So if we turn our diet now to the soul, like the soul or our diet for our soul, there's a well-known quote that has been attributed to many throughout the years. But the version I like best is from a guy, Frank Outlaw. And this this is a mantra, if you will, if, if something that resonates with, you know, it's something that resonates with me. Uh, it calls us to judge our thought life, and we're told to do the same throughout the Bible. In fact, in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. So Proverbs 4, 23, I, I want to emphasize this before we get to the quote. Proverbs 4, 23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. So here's the quote. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, or it becomes your destiny. And this is by Frank Outlaw. He was the late president of a, of a chain of grocery stores, Bilo Stores. Let's read that one more time, though. Or let's, you know, you listen to this. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Part of why this quote is so moving to me is that it emphasizes the choice that we have. We choose to cultivate certain thoughts. We allow the seeds of thought to be sown into the soil of our hearts. And out of that, and out from that grows our actions. Those actions multiply. And, and multiply, reaping a bountiful harvest that creates a strong habit. As habits are re-sown with the same actions fed, the same thoughts we build out a fortress or a silo that becomes our character. That tower that we are building from our thoughts and our actions, then habits has a character that becomes our destiny. So we're building our resting place, if you will. That's what our destiny is. It's like our resting place. So as we build upon 
you know, our, our thoughts, our actions, our habits, and our character that, that we are building our resting place, which is our destiny. You can look at this in a different way. Instead of building a beautiful and purposeful tower, it could be that you're building a pit. So either you're building this, this tower that's your destiny, this, this uh, you know, pillar uh, or, or landmark or altar in your life that is your destiny in God, or you could be building yourself a, a way, a gateway, a path into the pit, right? So you could think about it either way. Are you digging yourself into a, a deeper hole or are you building yourself a resting place with the Lord on high? In 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10, it, it says to be careful of false teachers and, and, true, and find true contentment. So let's read. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited in understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in the mind and depraved of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So then what are we supposed to do? The scripture, the word of God is always our lighthouse. It is our measuring stick. By bathing in the word of God regularly and praying for God's discernment, we can have faith that God will direct us towards his path and his godly desires for our lives. In Christ, we, we have hope. That is why we preach the message of Christ to all who will listen. This brings me to my next point, which is earthly riches. As we think of earthly riches, again, keep in mind that our original text that we're working from Matthew 6, 19 is telling us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. So when I'm talking about building, you know, your destiny, I'm not talking about earthly gain, right? I'm not even talking about salvation. If, if you give given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are saved. If you've repented of your sin and accepted him as Lord, you have in faith, then you are saved and you will, you will enter into heaven. You will enter into the kingdom of God. But he does tell us to lay up treasures in heaven, where the moth and rust destroy. So that is, a, as as you become saved, you're going to want to serve the Lord. You're going to want to, you know, you're going to be in alignment with him. And that's basically this desire, you know, from, you know, uh, Jesus is telling us that his desire for us is to, is to work towards the kingdomly things, to the heavenly things, right? He's telling us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Because that's, because where we are working for, we're like when we're laying up treasures in heaven, that's where our heart will be. If we're laying up treasures on earth, that's where our heart will be, right? So let's keep that in mind that we are talking about a spiritual, you know, spiritual treasures when we're thinking about the things of God. So as we look at earthly riches, you know, riches being the abundant of invaluable possessions or wealth, yeah, you know, there are many other ways of describing riches, abundance, treasure, wealth, affluence, assets, fortune, gold, opulence, plenty, property, resources, substance, 
worth. The opposite, of course, being lack or poverty or debt. And some similar uh, synonyms would be, you know, to this would be like carnal. Like when we talk about earthly riches, we're talking about a carnality, you know, temporal, terrestrial, or worldly. So there's a powerful excerpt from um, The Lay of the Last Minstrel by Canto, or in, in Canto 6, sorry, by Sir Walter Scott. And it goes a little something like this. It says, breathe there the man with soul so dead, who never to himself hath said, this is my own, my native land, whose heart hath near within him burned, as home his footsteps he hath turned. From wandering on a foreign strand, if such there breathe, go, mark him well, for him no minstrel rapture swell. High though his titles, proud his name, boundless his wealth, as wish can claim. Despite those titles, power and pelf, the wretch concentrated all in self, and doubtedly dying shall go down, or actually living shall forfeit fair renown, and doubtedly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprung, unwept, unardered, unhonored, and unsung. So like the pleasures of sin, earthly riches last only for a very short season. You know, if we're lucky in life, you'll live to your 70s or, or your 80s or by some by strength of will, you might you, you make it into the hundreds. This is why we're warned about fostering this covetous, covetousness relationship or covetous relationship with wealth, fame and riches here on earth. Blessings is not, you know, the concern here. We can see from the story of Job that God enjoys blessing his people. We can see that with the entire story of Israel, there are blessings, there are, they are a blessed people, and their propensity to turn away from God didn't stop God from blessing them as a nation throughout their history in, a, in trying to call them back to him. The issue isn't having the riches, but rather hoarding the riches or the use of earthly gain for things outside of God's purpose. For if you look at the story of Solomon, he was a, the wisest of kings and the richest of kings, but it was his foolishness in the end to show off his wealth in, in splendor in a way that was unbefitting such a wise king that ended up causing problems for his ancestors down the line. So again, we're called to be emissaries for this heavenly kingdom, but if we are to be, be witnesses for the word for to the world for God the Creator, then what example are we setting? If people look into our spending habits, what would they see? Is your spending, your savings, your focus on things of on the things of God or on the things of man? How do you about go about gaining wealth? Are you doing this in an ethically or moral way? So people on the outside are looking at us as Christians and are they and they're judging us. You know, and trying to see, are they being ethical? Are they being responsible? This, this is not an idea of, uh, oh, well, they're not giving the charities that I like, or, oh, they're not supporting, you know, things that I like. That's not what I'm talking about. Because we all know that there's going to be, you know, judgment from sinners because we do not align with them spiritually. But we still have to, you know, work, you know, in ourselves and be ethical. Proverbs 28, 6 says, better is the poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in all his ways. This speaks to that truth that we are called to be, you know, and have integrity in the ways of God first. And then if if blessing comes through that, then great. 
but it is better to be the poor man and be and have integrity than to be the rich man and be crooked. In Luke 16, 19 through 31, we see this you know, illustrated with the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 19, there is a, a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being tormented. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. How prophetic. I mean, obviously, you know, Jesus knew what was going to happen in this situation, and he's giving this, this uh, you know, a parable. But the reality is, is this is foreshadowing to what to come. And it's foreshadowing for the time that we live in now, where we do have a risen Lord and people still choose not to believe. And Revelation 18, 16 through 17 says, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. These scriptures highlight for us the frailty of earthly riches. Even in the story of Job, we can see a picture of how quick our wealth and abundance can be swept away. We see Job is a godly man being tested. Everything was taken away from Job, his kids, his wealth, even his health. He was only left with his very judgmental friends and an understandably bitter wife. Thank goodness Job remained a hedge of protection for his wife. Even though Job was considered blessed and rich by man prior to these events, it was not these riches that set him apart and why he can still be read and we can still read about him today. Job was set apart because his actual riches were stored up in heaven. He went through a tremendous trial, but in the end, he was vindicated by and, and his blessings were multiplied. But his true riches are still the riches that he received stored up in heaven. Which brings me to my third and final point, which is heavenly riches. So, you know, synonyms for heavenly, angelic, blissful, celestial, delectable, delicious, divine, glorious, holy, lovely, supernatural, wonderful. These are the kind of riches that we're trying to, you know, you know, store up in heaven, right? So the focus of our life being, you know, one that we are trying to go forward in and align with the heavenly vision 
that we have received in Jesus Christ. And as we move forward in that heavenly vision, we're storing up you know, the riches in heaven that, we, you know, that Jesus Christ tells us to focus in. So as we, again, in the text, it says in verse 20, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So this is from, you know, from our Lord. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I emphasize again that this is this is a uh, you know the works that come by you know the faith that you have you've already put into action. You've already you had faith, which you you received salvation by grace of no work of your own. But because now you you have Jesus in your heart, your life starts to change, and you become aligned with Him. Now you have a desire to do the things of God, to work towards laying up these treasures in heaven. That's what we're talking about here is the outflow uh, that comes from salvation by grace. We're not talking about works that lead to salvation. We're talking about you know works that come from a changed life because of salvation. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is something I battled with all the time. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a working pastor. I part, I, I, I'm a pastor full time, but I, I do have a full time job as well. And what does that mean? Well, that means like I, I, I have to in my in my day to day life, remember that this is my calling. Is to, is to preach the gospel and to reach the lost. And this is my focus to do that. Right? And I, I had to grow in my own life into a place where I knew that I needed to have a job to help provide for my family. But for a long time, I was, I was chasing after corporate goals. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd had jobs that were going to, you know, potentially lead me to higher responsibility, but they always required uh, an amount of commitment that was going to take me away from the things of God. And they were always going to take me away from my family to a certain extent. There's like this corporate rat race idea of, you know, if you want to make it in life, you need to sacrifice all of these things on the altar of whatever corporation you're working for. And it's a shame, really, because we're supposed to be looking towards the heavenly things and Oftentimes, many people will do this. So I came to a place in my life where I had to understand that, you know, the benefits received from this corporate, you know, uh, race were were going to be hugely detrimental to not just my my family and my life here on earth, but they were going to be detrimental to my spiritual life. And so I had to come to a place where I I, I literally was able to say, I will, I'm giving you my life, Lord. I'm going to be content with where I'm at. I'm going to be content with what I have. I'm going to be a do, a do a good job with the responsibilities I have. But I, I need to focus in on the things of God. So when we look at Andre Agassi, he says that despite his wealth of success, playing the game interfered with his personal relationships. He felt disconnected with his life. He then became very involved with philanthropy, Right. And was especially interested in education. So he started taking his eyes off of himself, his success. And a lot of the success drive that he had came from his, his relationship with his earthly father. The fact that his, his father desired for him to be this, this superstar in tennis. So he, 
he had these these barriers that that caused him to be very aloof in his own personal life and it was very hard for him but it wasn't until he was able to put that aside and start serving others that he found he started finding fulfillment so why did andre feel so unfulfilled despite his immense earthly success as we re- read earlier in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Discontentment can drive people to desire riches when the root of their discontentment is that they are not connecting to the Father. Right? Here is a successful, you know, so even with Andre, we can see that you know, in his, in his heyday, he had issues with alcoholism. He had, you know, he was, he was looking, you know, for love with all sorts of different women and models and different things. He wasn't finding fulfillment in what he was doing. So he was looking for other things to fill this void in his heart. But here's a useful article that expands upon this thought. Discontent is one of the most powerful shaping influences in our society. Advertisers regularly attempt to dissuade us from the things we use every day in order to sell us their products. Political parties, you know, thrive on discontent, stirring up voters to covet things they do not have in order to elect a candidate who will take from one group of people and give to another. Truly contentment is rare today. So think about that though, because this is not a new idea. This is one of the things that led for the, to the fall of Greece was in the democracies of Greece, they were true straight democracies. The way that political leaders would win their elections was they would take from one group, usually the richer minority group, because everybody in Greece got one vote. And they would take from the, the more elite, richer group and give to the poor group. And as time goes on, this process would continue to happen until now there is nobody, there, there is not a affluent you know, richer group, everybody has a lot less of everything. And it caused, you know, Greece to be ripe for being taken over. And that, you know, was with Alexander the Great and and eventually being, you know, their their empire collapsed upon itself. So this is why there's so much advertising, though, to gaining riches, fame, and power, is that this, this idea of focusing in on the discontentment of others. When discontentment is the driving force in a person's life, all sorts of problems can result. Spouses can rush headlong into extramarital affairs. Households can pile on loads of debt as they try to keep up the lifestyle of their neighbors. Biblical truths can be distorted in an effort to make the message easier to sell. Timothy faced some kind of doctrinal aberrations resulting from teachers who made monetary gain their chief end in life. So, you know, the the prosperity gospel is nothing new. And that's why Paul urges contentment with one's own estate in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. He expands upon this principle in today's passage, reminding us that a desire to be rich fueled by discontentment can can create senseless desires and result in destruction. Note that Paul does not say that those who are rich are the ones who succumb to temptation, as if having wealth is evil in itself. Many of the saints who lived during biblical era were wealthy. For example, in Genesis 13, 2, Luke 8, 1 through 3, we can see this. So being rich itself is not sinful. What Paul is warning us against is the desire for wealth. But even here, he is not cautioning against the desire to improve one's estate, but the desire that makes money and things to be the end-all, be-all of life. 
The apostle is warning us not to be like the rich fool who stores up possessions only for himself and never thinks about how he can benefit others. As John Calvin explains, having luxuries is not to be condemned on its own account, but lusting after them is always sinful. Those who love money above all else will do anything to get more of it. They will fall into a snare. And first, we, we just read that in 1 Timothy 6, 9, which is the same word used in snare of the devil in 3, 7. People who worship gold and silver will find their bank account will not help them escape the same fate reserved for Satan. So as we close, we need to look at the focus on heavenly riches. What does that mean? We, we are called to build our our house on the rock of Christ, the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Our purpose then is to build our lives around that revelation. Our focus should be on the great commission of spreading the gospel, spreading the word of God and seeing others saved by God's grace. As we move into the purpose that, that as we move in this purpose, that's laid out for us in the Bible and focus our efforts on God's will, then Jesus will be building our heavenly home and storing up our heavenly riches. John 14, 1 through 3, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you, or would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. So in closing, watch your desires. As we read in Proverbs 4.23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. And then remember, we're not trying to store up earthly riches. As we read in our text, we're not laying up treasures here on earth because they can, they can be uh, eaten by the moth, destroyed by rust, and thieves can come and steal them. In Revelation 18, we, we see again that does, it doesn't matter how fine of clothes you're, you're in, the city, the greatness of the city that you live in, how many jewels and pearls and gold you have, because all this can be laid to waste in just a single hour. And in the times we live in today, this is a very critical thing for us to understand with everything that could be on the horizon, with all the wars and rumors of wars, with all the, the tumultuous events that are happening in the economies of the Western cities, as, as the Western nations are collapsing in on their own lack of integrity. We need to remember that trusting in the riches that we have right now is, is foolish. We need to be laying up our, he our heavenly riches. And we need to keep our mind and our, our heart and our spirit focused on the things of God. But in that, because that's what's going to help us to weather these storms like Job did and to, and to you know, build for ourselves treasures in heaven. If I could have, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed, of course, if you're driving, keep it 10 and 2, keep your eyes on the road. But everybody else, just, well, I always like to take a quick minute to give an invitation. You know, as a 
Pentecostal, um, you know, kind of, you know, church, we believe in the invitation and in, in doing altar calls. And it doesn't matter where you are because anything can become an altar if, it, if you're doing it with a right heart. And what do I mean by that? Is It's simply, we just give an invitation that if this message has impacted you, if this message has spoken to you and you know you're not right with, with Jesus Christ, you know you're not right with God right now, I want to give you the opportunity to get right. I want to give you the opportunity to, to you know, be saved. And what, what does that mean? That just simply means that you just, you're turning from your sinful life. You're accepting Jesus as your savior in faith. And then therefore you receive grace. It's, it, it's an invitation that's open for everybody, but you have to, you have to be, you have to allow yourself to receive it. It's nothing we do. You just have to open yourself to be received, to receive it. So if you, if that's you, it's something, it's as simple as this, this sinner's prayer, which is dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and you can repeat this after me, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and that he died on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them and I accept you, Lord, as my savior. I, ex I, I ask you to enter into my heart and be my Lord and savior in my life. And I thank you for the grace that you bestowed upon me and salvation that, that comes from that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd really appreciate it if you, if you shot me a message, if you reached out to me. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And otherwise, I just thank you for listening to this message. And I, I look forward to you coming back again. I just want to quickly close in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray this message goes out from here and touches the nations of the world. I hope that it it reaches the lost to bring them, to call them to Christ through your Holy Spirit. For nothing that I do can, can you know, bring people to salvation, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would use this to uh, bring people to you, to, to the foot of the cross, and that they give their lives to you. I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you again, and I can't wait for you to come back next time. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing, join the conversation, and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.